Thank you for your participation in that last song. Man, we were going hard right there. I think the band knows where I'm going in this sermon, so they almost jumped ahead. So we got to come back to that at the altar. But open up your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 12, verse 30. It's in the second slide or um, on the slide of the verses there, my brother. You can follow along in the notes online as well as the giving book. Oh, my goodness, we have the precious Valkanets with us. Can we give it up for the Valkanets? These are old friends of ours. God bless you. I know I love you guys. They're... Thank you. They remember when I was single and, and all types of memories we have together. God bless you guys. I can't let you just sit there without saying thank you for coming. Amen. Oh, God is faithful, isn't he? He's been faithful. All right, let's go to Mark chapter 12, verse 30. The love of God transforms our lives. It, it transforms us from the inside out. We're never the same. And in first service, I took a direction in that, and I don't know if I'll be going here in second service, so please make sure you listen to both services if that's your thing, especially podcasts online, because I get a little bored saying the same thing twice. So I like to keep it fresh, even for me, and I think there's aspects of both service that would be helpful. Uh, just for example, I have about 12 verses here, and they were pretty much present in the first service, but I only got to about three. So I'm going to try to hit the other ones today. But there is a, um, an old story that kind of goes around with the preacher and his ment uh, mentee, the young man he was mentoring, and he was asking him if he had read his Bible, and uh, the young man said, yeah, I read the whole Bible, you know, from Genesis to Revelation. And uh, the, the pastor said, okay, what is it about? And he started listing off all of these, you know, stories, and I wonder if I were to do that here today, if that's what you would tell me the Bible's about. So the young man said, oh, it's about Noah and the ark, and, uh, you know, David killing Goliath, and uh, the story of the prophets, and then, you know, Jesus coming down on the cross and uh, the letters to the churches and the end times. And the, and the pastor said, but what about the love of God? And the young man said, oh, oh yeah, I mean, it, it teaches us that God is love and that, that God loved us, gave his son for us. Uh, yeah, I get that. And he said, no, I don't think you do. Go back from the beginning and read every story through the eyes of God's love for us. You see, when you start in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, what is it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Somebody say, that's love. That's love. God did not have to create. The very fact that God created, that's love. It starts with love. And then you go to the end of Revelation, and what do you see? The heavens have come to earth, and God dwells with men. Why? Because he loves us. Everything in between is God's love. Now, I know that uh, the morons, I mean the Mormons can have interesting stories, but it's really fictional, and that's why we have to pray for them. And please don't think I'm just insulting them. I'm like Mr. T who pities a fool. How many people here are like Mr. T pitying a fool? And I told you the other day that I was keeping Mr. T famous in culture, then all of a sudden I saw him on a T-Mobile commercial during the Super Bowl. Did anybody see Mr. T? And I was like, okay, that's my guy. He's still doing it. That's a Christian, by the way. That's a Christian entertainer there. i got to pray for them to be used by God. And so we pity the fools, we pity the, the, the moronic thinking that you can add to the scripture without being inspired. But this is one thing that they do that captures people's attentions because obviously everybody who's a, more, a Mormon is not a moron in the sense of they're not smart people. They're smart. Some of them are leaders, some of them are CEOs, very influential, uh, all types of influence in the world that Mormons have. But what draws them in? And if you listen to their testimonies, is they talk about the Book of Mormon trying to fill in the blanks of the stories that the Bible doesn't. 
And what they do is they prey upon people's emotions. In other words, how did the great fall of Satan happen? Well, they interject their story that Satan is a brother of Jesus. And out of jealousy, they began to fight amongst each other. And God the Father took Jesus' side, and Satan didn't like that, and he got kicked out. And then the angels go with him. You see, there's some truth in there, but see, they tell that story with also some error in there. Jesus and Satan are not spirit brothers. And then they go on to talk about the counsel of these godlike beings because they don't just believe in one God, they believe in many gods. A in infinite regression of gods begetting gods. In other words, our God was once a man who became a God. You can be a man that becomes a God, and those gods are continually in the past. But I do want to interject something here that I think is helpful, and I think that it preys upon our conscience, and that is why would God create? We don't get the story of why he started in Genesis 1-1 in Genesis 1-1. You have to go throughout the Bible to see that answer. And then you have to use your imagination to see what was going on in the mind of God during this time. So, for example, we see that God is love later on in the Bible, 1 John. So now we know God created us out of love. Everybody say, out of love. Amen. So why did God create us? Out of love. What is the purpose of man? To love God. There we go. So we have the answer now. But now I want to put that back into Genesis chapter 1, and I want to ask God, what was it like for him to watch us betray that love? What was it like for God to watch the very creatures that he had just placed in the beautiful garden that he created, especially for them, to turn their back on him? I think that's the heartbreak of God. You see, love came with a price. That means when God chose to love us, he chose to give us a free will. And I could see, once again, this is fiction. Everybody say, this is fiction. I could see the father saying to the son, you know what this will cost us if we truly love them and give them free will. And I could see the son saying back to the father, I know, I'll have to give my life for them. And I could see the father then saying to the son, do you still want to create them in your image? And he says, yes, they'll be worth it. I will love them even when they don't love me. You see, the story of the Bible starts with love. It ends with love, and it has love all there in between. And so when you see in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve turning their back on God, it's not turning their back on their babysitter. It's not just turning their back on some guy with gray hair up in the the sky somewhere. It's turning their back on love. And it's not just breaking a law. Of course it's a law. They shouldn't have eaten from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, but it's breaking a heart. It's breaking more than just a law. It's breaking the heart of God. And so God's heart breaks as they break his law. And at this point, those who are a little bit of softies, and I know, uh, you know, in marriage, there's usually a more stricter one, a softer one. Uh, oftentimes, people see the man as being the more harder one and the, uh, the, the woman, the wife, mother being more of the soft one. That was not that way in my family. My wife, I mean, my mom was definitely the stricter one, beat me when she got mad. That's what she would say, I'll beat it out of you, you know, and it might, it's just somewhat crazy. But, it, but in my family, my wife is the nice one, nice Nancy, except every now and then in homeschool, right? She it's not so nice. But how many know that there's sometimes there's two sides of, of love? One's maybe more strict, maybe one is more forgiving. And sometimes we pit those against each other almost like a yin and a yang, but it's still expressing love. It's still expressing love. And so those who lean more, what we would say, towards grace, it's almost like they want to help God at this point at the fall of Adam and Eve and say, hey, come on, God. 
ease up a little bit. I mean, they just ate from the tree. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Everything's okay. And I could just imagine if an angel would have said that to what Jesus would have said back to that angel, you have no idea what just transferred. They came out of my light and they went into darkness. There's no way to retrieve them back unless I die for them. And now they must understand what that choice entails. Otherwise, free will is not really free if every time they now try to do the evil that they have knowledge of, I prevent them. I must now allow them to experience what evil is like. As one philosopher said, if God would have made the bat that beat the person in the crime just turn into a spaghetti noodle, the criminal would never understand what his anger can produce. If Hitler's gas chambers turned into cotton candy factories, we would never understand what evil is in the heart of men and women. And so sometimes people question God with evil, where God is not the problem with evil. God is the answer through Jesus Christ to the problem of evil. Just like my brother and sister remember back in the day, Jesus is the answer for the world. Today, Andre Crouch told us, and we need to go back in the Bible and see it. So you could almost see a softy, maybe someone who doesn't quite understand the weight of it, to say, well... I just give them another chance. It's not that big of a deal. God, after all, it's just one tree. And God now saying, no, you don't understand. Humanity now has set itself on a course of destruction, and this must play out so that they will understand the justice of my Father and then the love, the redemption that I offer. Come on, somebody say amen to that. You cannot see the love of God until you understand the justice of God. Sometimes people ask, well, how will we have known this in the garden in the perfect scenario of eating from the tree of life? I think God would have explained that to us. And I think that would have been a much better way to have learned about good and evil through a felt board illustration with Jesus as our Sunday school teacher than watching the Holocaust, watching all of these things happen in front of us. Can I hear an amen to that? How many of rather, would have rather attended Jesus' Sunday school to see what evil would be like than to actually live through it? That was God's plan. But now that we've lived through it, God gets the glory. And so now you can see through every story the love of God. Now go to Genesis before we go to Mark here. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3.15. Notice that right at the beginning, God says to Eve that you're going to have an offspring that's going to crush this serpent. Well, technically speaking to the serpent, he says, I'm going to put an enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will what? You will strike his heel. Everybody say strike his heel. That's a picture of the cross. So what you see in Genesis 3, 15, and 16 is a, a, a proto-evangelion, a pre-gospel preaching of John 3, 16. That's going to come later into our story. And the woman, you're going to have birth pains, and you're going to be in pain. And notice this. Children will be born crying while mothers are screaming. Welcome to the world of pain. As the old timers used to say, we come into the world crying and we go out laughing, but many don't go out laughing, do they? Many go out crying just like they came, saying, God, have mercy on me as they scream in their last moments, as they gasp their last breaths. But notice this. God says that this is how it's going to play out. There is going to be a crushing of the serpent who led humanity into temptation. But as that crushing is happening, that there is going to be a stinging of the heel. And so there is going to be a price to be paid. And what do you think Eve thought the very first child that she had? Don't you think she went back to that prophecy and she said, hey, the answer to my prayers is now here. The redemption has come. Look at Genesis chapter 4. That's literally what she thought. She thought Abel was the Messiah. 
Here it is, game, set, match, reset, let's start over again. Genesis chapter 4, please. Notice this, right at the beginning, she thought Abel was the answer. Adam made love to his wife Eve. She became pregnant, gave birth to Cain, oh, rather, not Abel, thank you. And then, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to Abel. Now, you notice this right here where it says, I have brought forth a man. In the Hebrew, what that was tied to was, I have brought forth the one, the man that was spoken of in the previous scripture. It's not just a man, but I brought forth the man. The child, my offspring, the offspring has now come forth. But what happened with Cain? Cain, as we just learned, no coincidence today, in our giving offering, Cain kills Abel. The very one she thinks is going to be the redeemer is now a murderer. Do you see how humanity is breaking the heart of God? God is showing us, hello, it doesn't work that way. Humans are not just going to get up and change their mind and do what's right. And then when you go to the end of chapter 4, as the, the story unfolds, God is speaking to Cain, saying, I'll accept your offering, but sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have mastery over you. Cain gave in to sin. Heartbreak of God continues on. Eventually, God uh, runs into Abraham, calls him out, says, you're going to be a father at the age of 75. How many think that's pretty hopeful? How many are happy? Let's, those of us who are becoming senior saints, how many are glad to know that's still possible in God's world? Hallelujah, 75, let's keep going, Jesus. I have parents that are that age, and they always have awkward conversations with me about that. I'll just leave it at that. But yes, everything functions at that age. And also beware, let me just say this to my senior saints, beware that now the highest rates of STDs are now happening in retirement villages in Florida. My dad told me this, and I said, Dad, you're kidding me. He said, no, all throughout Clearwater, all throughout this, they're having STD outbreaks. They're having to bring back in the high school, uh, you know, banana and sex ed type stuff again to teach the old people you better be careful because you can die of an STD at this age. Somebody say, God have mercy. But I want you to notice this. In Genesis chapter 12, God begins to meet with Abram, then calls him Abraham, father of many nations, and says, I'm going to give you this child of promise. And notice what happens in that story. The child comes 25 years later. They're about 100 years old. And then God says to Abram to keep this promise going. He says, I want you to sacrifice your son Isaac. Brothers and sisters, some people think this was God being crazy with us or, uh, you, know, you know, maniacal, just wanting us to kill a child. And sometimes there's people who deal with mental illness and say, God told me to do it. No, God stayed the hand of Abraham. But what is this right here early on in our story? This is God saying, I want someone to feel what I'm going to feel when I give my son. Abraham was a friend of God. Why? Because he understood what it was like to give a son. Go throughout the whole Bible as that young man needed to do and see the love of God. Then we see Moses get these commands and we see sacrifice get initiated into the temple worship. And is it because God just wanted to have, as Jerry was saying, you know, some filet mignon? Was God just wanting us to start a butcher shop there at the temple and have, you know, the, the meat there so we could just be meat eaters? No, God is showing us through the sacrificial code of Moses from the Passover lamb to the red heifer that they're trying to get for the new temple they want to build there in Israel. That's why we got to pray for the peace of Jerusalem because the devil knows what God's going to do there. Can I hear an amen? So it was God just wanting to kill animals just to eat them. No, God was killing animals so that we would see the blood spill and understand that's supposed to be us because of what we did against God's heart. Come on, somebody say, God have mercy. The mercy of God, thank you, was seen among the death of these animals and the blood spilling. 
Oftentimes we think of the priests being clean uh, because they were told to be clean when they started their job, but we miss the point. They started that job clean, but by the end of the day, their robes were splattered in blood from head to toe. Because of the death of these animals, the screams of the animals being put to death, I want to have some rabbits to do this with my family with in the backyard so I could show them what it looks like for an animal to die. But my wife doesn't want me to do this, but I want them to. <laughs> I know you think I'm crazy, but track with me here. My children need to see what it's like. <laughs> my wife's still shaking her head. My, my children need to see an animal die because they don't understand death. They go to McDonald's and they think the hamburger was born that way as a piece of meat. They don't understand that that was once a little precious cow that had a name and that somebody probably petted it and milked it and treated it like a family friend. I get quiet when I, it gets quiet when I preach like this. But we don't grow up in a world where we see death. Let's be honest, we've seen it make believe. But I'm talking that precious little rabbit we have in the backyard. If you kill that precious little rabbit, how many know my children are going to understand differently about when they eat the drumstick of that rabbit than they did today after church getting some KFC out of a bucket? The people of Israel were not watching slaughter happen in front of them just because God was sadistic, as some of you think I'm trying to be sadistic with my children. No, I'm wanting them to understand that things die for us to live. And in God's world, and God's creation, he's wanting us to understand that things will die so that we can live. You go on then to the kings. And it starts off with all of these uh, priests and prophets going astray, even to the point, Eli, he's a great priest, right? But hold on, his kids are not in order. We give the kids the, the, the rebuke, but we give him the past. No, something had to be wrong with him for him to allow his children to go astray. It says that they were so wicked that as we're talking about this slaughter going on, that the kids of Eli would wait for you to bring the best and say, hey, let me take this. Don't give this to God. It's all going to go up in flames anyway. Let me get that, that, that tomahawk steak. Let me get that roadhouse. Let me get this, you know, filet over here. And then God strikes them dead and says to Eli, I'm going to raise up Samuel. And then you think to yourself, okay, Samuel's going to get it. And Samuel seems to be starting off great, and I love him and I respect him. But Samuel appoints uh, Saul, which seems to be good but goes bad. And then when God says, I'm going to do something different than Saul, I'm going to give a king, watch this, that's after my own heart, what does then Samuel do? Samuel looks for the one that looks exactly like the one that just messed up. He tries to get ones by looks to be the king of Israel after God just told him. This is all gone wrong because the person doesn't have my heart. Don't look at the outside. Look at the inside. And when it's time for Samuel to pick, what does he start looking at? The outside. Oh, it's this one. And the Bible literally gives the impression. You have to read a little bit into the Hebrew as well. But it looks like he's actually trying to pour the oil, but God won't let it even happen. That he's going so far to almost force the hand of God. And then when he sees that God is plugging up the oil, it won't run. Then he asked the question, okay, well, I've tried to anoint all of these sons. It's not working. Do you have another one? And then that's when David comes. Somebody say, heart after God. Remember, the whole Bible is about love. It's just not about a man killing Goliath. It's about a man learning to have a heart after God. And God wanted to stop a person called Goliath because he was hurting God's people. You all tracking with me? But now we get to the good guy, right? We got, we got our one now, right? I mean, Abraham, he had some mistakes along the way. He lied about his wife. He tried to have, you know, he did have sex with his, his uh, maidservant. You know, so, okay, so, you know, Abraham's not our hope. Certainly Cain's not our hope. He killed his own brother. You know, Noah's not our hope. Noah gets drunk after the ark. Okay, so here 
here we go. We got Moses, but hold on. He turns out to be a murderer, and then he gets mad at the people of God. Can't even go into the promised land. Are you listening? Because of his issues. So now we got we got David. It's not Saul. It's not Samuel. It's not Eli. Somebody say it's David. And yet, what does David become? You know the story. He becomes an adulterer, cheats on the wife of Uriah, and then tries to hide it as she becomes pregnant, Bathsheba. And then to hide it, what does he become? Now he's a murderer, and then he's a liar. He's causing treason against the people of God. Put up Psalm 51, please. David's not our guy. He breaks the heart of God. Think about this. The one that is supposed to have God's heart in his hand is the very one a few years later saying, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. God, you, you know, you, you love me, right? Even though I mess this whole thing up, have mercy on me, O God. So we get past David, and then what happens with Solomon? He's now a polygamist. Solomon brings the curse of God upon the land so that his two sons split the kingdom of Israel apart until the northern and southern tribes go into judgment and go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. And here now we have a hope that's going to go beyond the, spoke, uh, the, the, the scope of the judgment because God is basically saying, I am going to punish all of you now. The nation of Israel and of Judah will be punished. But what does he say before they enter into their punishment? I have loved you with an everlasting love. There's the hope. Does everybody see it? Beyond the scope of the limitation right there. There's some good preaching. Come on. It's beyond the scope of what they can see. But it's always been about love, isn't it? Has that been demonstrated in, in my Bible stories right now? Am I helping you see that's all about love? God tells Jeremiah right before the greatest judgment of Babylon comes upon them to the point that it is going to be so bad, listen to this, that mothers will eat their own children at that time. The judgment of God will be upon them that they will be castrated like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego taken to be as slaves by the nation that hates their God. Put before the lions then into the fiery furnace. This is where they're going. But what does God tell them? I love you. I love you. I love you. Don't forget that. While you go to Babylon, don't forget that I love you. And then God goes silent. God goes silent. Why? Because the Bible says he will not speak again until he starts to restore the hearts of the Father back to the children. And it comes through the prophets of, Jer of John the Baptist and Zechariah and others in the birth of Jesus. Somebody say, it's about time. Then you get to Jesus, and it's God in the flesh, the God who loves us. Now he's here. Remember, from the very beginning, he was the one who walked with us in the cool of the day. It was the one whose heart that we broke. It was the very one who watched all of his servants in some way or another fall, for there is none righteous, not even one. And now he is here, and as that old uh, 90s song goes, what if God was one of us? Anybody remember that one? What if, one, like a th slug, like one of us, you know, what if, what if God was one of us? Well, what happens when God the Son manifests in the flesh? What does humanity do to him? What do they do? Crucify him. How many are getting ready for spring weather? Come on, Easter's coming up. I know we're in the crazy time of fool spring right now. It's like, here I am. No, I'm not. Here I am. Fooled you. But how many will take a couple of tricks of spring as long as it's a little bit warmer, right? You will have to get back to your winter jacket eventually, but hey, at least we got to put on the shorts for a minute. So yeah, Easter's coming up, but what is Easter showing us? It's showing us God's great love in the face of man's great sin. And what does Jesus do on the cross? Think about it. What does he do? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, 
Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Resurrects, calls his disciples. Some of them don't even believe. He has to let them touch him and poke at him, and then they believe. And now what happens? The gospel of love is preached around the whole world, and everybody just accepts it. No, the very ones that now were once doubters are now the ones that are becoming martyrs. And a martyr is the definition of what Christians give, not Muslims, not shouting Allah Akbar and blowing yourself up. That's a soldier or a coward of one. Are you listening? Martyrs, according to the Bible, are like those missionaries of ours in Mozambique right now with Heidi Baker and Iris Ministry who are dying for the gospel at the feet of the terrorists that are there. Somebody say, help us, Lord. And that's how the church was birthed. But what was the call of the missionary? What was the call? What was the, the cry of their heart? It was God so loved us. Us, and he gave himself for us. Now we so love you and we're giving ourselves for you. Go to 1 John chapter 4, please, verse 8 and onward. That if God loved us this way, 1 John 4, 8 and onward. If God loved us this way, this is how now we love. We love in the same way God loves us. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is what? God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he what? He loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now go, listen, to 1 John 3.16. John 3.16 is the gospel of John teaching us about what Jesus did for us. 1 John is his epistle, a letter that he writes to the churches. And notice how it corresponds. John 3.16 with 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what? Love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters. This is why Christianity grows, not through political persuasion, though we should be involved in politics, but it grows through the proclamation of the gospel and selflessness and people laying down their lives for others. Can I hear an amen to that? Because that's what will change the world, not by force. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. But those who are in the kingdom of God and preachers of the kingdom, they advance it. And so, yes, if we're going to do confrontation with politics, we have to do it gospel-centered. But, gos uh, but confrontation in politics alone will not fix it. That's why today, brothers and sisters, we're heading to the streets as grassroots movement to preach the gospel. As many as you saw, 18 baptized. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, God is doing it. And all we have to do is be obedient because when you are transformed from the inside, you'll act different on the outside. Amen? So there go our disciples to martyrdom. And the Bible ends in Revelation, and let's go there, chapter 22. Go to the last, say, five verses of Revelation, chapter 22, and then we'll get into the sermon. How many will be ready for it by then? Amen. Well, this is just the introduction. Look at your neighbor and say, this is just the intro. Amen. I still got the notes that I have to get into here. I just wanted to step away from the notes for a minute and just preach to you. 17 is a good place to start. Thank you, my brother. Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come, the bride being the church, calling to the world today. In this prophetic moment. And let the one who hears say come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. I warn everyone that hears the words of this prophecy of the scroll. If anyone adds to them, God will add to the plagues described in this scroll. How many know they're already bad enough? You don't want them added to you. 
You don't want to double up on that, okay? And if anyone takes away the words of the scroll of this prophecy, and by the way, this is not between pre-trib, post-trib. These are not guys disagreeing over the doctrine. Sometimes we get a little sassy with each other, thinking that now God's going to take away a blessing because you don't understand the end times the way I do or somebody on TV does. This is talking about taking away the second coming of Jesus as a whole. Can I hear an amen to that? Be nice to those who have different opinions over the end times. God will take away from that person any share of the tree of life and the holy city that are described here. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Thank you, my brother. Amen. Everybody say this with me. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Why is he coming back? Because from the Garden of Eden, we needed him here. Because of our sin, he was separated from us. He came to bring us redemption, the first part of the kingdom of God. And now he's coming to put that kingdom once and for all, not just in our hearts, but on the Buddha, uh, to put his boot on Satan's head and to crush him once and for all. Amen? And so that we may, may rule and reign with him. Now going to our notes, Mark chapter 12, verse 30. That's the true story, not what the Book of Mormon says. I just wanted to share that with you so you could see it. The love of God is greater than any fiction. Amen? And if you have to use your imagination, that's okay, as I did here. But remember the black and white of the Scripture. God is love. He loved us so much he gave his son. Now, what do we do in response to this? While we are here waiting for Jesus to come back, we love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and what? Strength. Somebody say strength. Amen. These are the components of the human life. The Bible teaches us that we have to first and foremost love them with our heart. I believe these are the emotions that we carry with us. And I believe that God cares about our emotions. Sometimes I talk to the frozen chosen, the Presbyterians and the, uh, the Baptists and all of these things. And I, I say to them, hey, we serve the same God. I just know him a little bit better because he hangs out with me all the time. Because I know he still talks. I'm just being honest with you. I tell them this because they don't think God still speaks. How many believe God is still speaking? Amen. I mean, he's wonderful to know in the scripture, and that's inspired. But my name and my wife and my kids are not there. I need him to talk to me today at 1186 Shawford Way or 5405 West Diversity. Can I hear an amen to God that shows up and talks and speaks and puts dreams and visions in us? So like the one they talk about all the time, I have him talking to me. How many are glad God talks with you and he walks with you? Amen. And I don't think I'm any better than them. I'm just better off. Can I hear an amen to that? I'm just better off. I mean, it's the truth. I'm not better. I don't deserve it. It's just God's favor. Amen. And if you don't want to be his favored one, I'll be a favorite king's kid. Amen. If you don't think he's still healing, I guess I'll get some of the children's bed. The Bible says healing is the children's bread. So I was talking to my friend the other day, and he was saying all of that. And I was just letting him know, I still believe God speaks. He walks and he talks with us. The emotional life, I think, is the life that oftentimes is confusing to us because emotions can be triggered by different things. I was watching once uh, the Jungle Book story, and I began to cry over the animals and what they were doing. And I had to realize uh, my emotions can deceive me because the Jungle Book story is not true. How many know it's not true? But there was something in the Jungle Book story that touched my heart. And I'm not going to tell you what it is now, but I can get moved to emotion. I was also uh, with my wife when we first got married, and we were watching Gladiator. Anybody remember Gladiator with Russell Crowe? And at the end, I had to pause because my bottom lip was quivering, and I was crying so much because of how he gave his life for Rome. Is anybody a friend of Rome here? Will you carry him? You know, that this, that this part of that story made me cry, but how many know it's not true? And you see, a lot of things touch our emotions that are not true. 
people will stand in front of you crying, saying that they were born in the wrong body. And they'll get emotional. But it's no different than me getting emotional over the jungle book. Oh, that kind of hit home, didn't it? And people will tell you that the unbeliever that they're living with right now is the one God has for them, and they'll get emotional over that too. But God didn't call them to be together with an unbeliever. The best gift they can give to them is the gift of goodbye. Break up with them, and let's see if they really love you then. Come to church and get saved and baptized. Then you know they're going to be for you. Amen? Some people want a missionary date, and for some reason I always see it go the other way. They make you more of a child of the devil than you make them a child of God. Come on, somebody. But yet they'll be emotional. You'll watch America's Got Talent. You'll see some transgender person come up there. And they'll say, where's your family? Well, my family doesn't support me. And they know it. It's already in their notes. Make sure we publish this one. We got a tearjerker on our hands here. This person was born in a religious family, and now they're transgender. And we're going to let all of our millions of viewers know how much of a meanie they are and how accepting we are. Roll it. Let's go. Why isn't your family here? Because they don't accept me as Barbara, and I was born Bob. Tear coming down their eye. Come on, tear coming down their eye, and all of a sudden, Howie Mandel goes, oh, that's a shame. That's a shame. We accept you here. How many of you accept them? And then the audience erupts. We all accept you. But it's a lie because they're in their heart. The Bible says they've been deceived. The Bible goes so far to say that the heart is deceptive above all else. Who can know it? So when we talk about loving God with all of our heart, we're not talking about you today finding a church that affirms your sin and then you walk away going, see, I told you God is a God of love. He loves me just the way that I am. We say back to them, yes, he loves you just the way that you are, but too much to let you stay that way. The God of love that we read about in this Bible kicked people out of his garden, judged Cain for his murder, held back a, uh, you know, a flood for only so long until he judged the whole world and, and cursed the earth. Are you listening to me? That's the same God of love. The same God of love that called David to one after his own heart allowed his child to die and the kingdom to be ripped from his hand from his sons and his grandsons. It's the same God of love that said, Father, neither do I, uh, can, uh, you know, uh, the, he said to the woman at, at, at the uh, adultery woman, he said to her, neither do I condemn thee, but what did he say to her? Go and sin no more. And the same one that said, today you will be with me in paradise. And he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do is the same one that comes with a mouth uh, full of a sword coming out of his mouth and is stained on his thigh saying, King of kings and Lord of lords as he brings judgment. That's the same God, isn't it? Has that God changed from one covenant to the other? And so they don't understand the God of love, don't, don't they? They miss it because they let their heart deceive them. But how many know God loves your heart and loves your emotions? How many know God will mess with your emotions at the times you really don't want them to be messed with? Sometimes God gets a hold of my heart when I'm doing things that I don't really think are the right time for God to get a hold of my heart. You know, like I'll be out with my friends and I'll be hanging out and I'll start crying and I'll start weeping and God gets a hold of me. And in one sense, it's embarrassing, but in another sense, it's showing them that God is great and God is real. How many know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you try to hold it in and it's like gas. You know, the more you hold it in, the more it hurts and the worse it's going to be when it comes out. You might as well just let those tears flow. I remember one of these times when I was in Bible college and I didn't want to let them see me cry because it was so special to me when God would touch me like that. And yet God was breaking me down in the, in the altar and then he wanted me to testify and tears are just streaming down my face. And I was wondering if anybody would respect me, anybody would see me as the same way. And then I looked across the audience and they were weeping with me. 
God was going to use that vulnerability. God touches our hearts, and he wants it back. You see, it's like when I go out with my children to buy Mother's Day gifts for her or a Valentine's Day gift, something like that, and I say to the children, here's the money, now buy this for your mom. Buy this for your mom, and I give them the money. How many know if they went and bought a toy, I would be upset? How many know that? If I gave my daughter, my oldest, the credit card, and I said, you guys go buy stuff for mom and bring it back to the car, and I see all that they have is their video games, how many know I'm going to be upset? Because I gave them the money to go back to their mom. And this is what it looks like when God gives us love and we get it to guys in tights who play with balls. Are you listening to me? We get more upset, and I'm talking mostly to men right now. I'll get to women in purses and shoes in just a moment because we will stereotype here. Please, you know, forgive me if that bothers you, but we do stereotype here. But listen to me. You talk about men in their sports. I love the Super Bowl. And what they're really saying is I love men in tights playing with their balls. That's what I love. And then you ask them, is that really what you love? You break it down like that, men in tights playing with balls. And they go, well, no, no, that's not really what I love. Some may say, yes, that's what I love, but they, do, they need another kind of prayer deliverance. But hear my heart here, brothers and sisters. Men playing with balls is not the epitome of masculinity. Think about that. Men playing with a basketball is not the epitome of masculinity. I love Ronnie Coleman, and I'm glad that, can you get a video of Ronnie Coleman before and after? Guys, help him find it because they've been putting him on TikTok. Ronnie Coleman run multiple Mr. Universes. And now his legs are emaciated like chicken legs, and he's in a wheelchair. He used to have the record for the greatest squat. He was one of the biggest bench pressers that there was. And now he's emaciated. Why? Because even the strength of man will fall. The Bible says the beauty of women will fail. They had a picture, uh, uh, Cindy Crawford, I believe it was, had a picture with her and her uh, niece on Instagram, and it was without makeup, hair in a ponytail. She then got so much ridicule from that that she had to make a video, and the video went something like this. People saw this, video, uh, this picture, and instead of being grateful to see me with my family, they said, I don't even recognize her. She's an old hag now. Cindy Crawford. And imagine that. If that's what they say about Cindy Crawford, what do they say about us? But what had happened was they just saw that Cindy Crawford had aged. And I love as the old saying goes, we were all young and beautiful. Now we're just beautiful. Because you will not remain young forever, but you'll still be beautiful. And that's in the eyes of God. But what they had did is they reduced her down to the images that she had once made money off of. So in one sense, it was a system she had built up, a system that prioritized her beauty. Because let's be honest, Cindy, when you were going out for pretty woman, you got the job over somebody that wasn't as pretty. Which one was it? Oh, Julia Roberts. Same one in my mind, you know. Those 80 superstar women right there. You could pick one of those videos and show us, my brother. Thank you. But listen to me. The Bible says that the beauty of women will fade like grass in the field, like flowers and grass in the field. The Bible says, and you can do it on your own. We don't have to see it, brother. Just pick it out for us. We got Ray Charles in the back there. Let's give it up for Ray Charles helping us out. Brother Ray. <laughs> no, no, no. No, don't take them off now, dude. Don't take them off. You got to keep them on now. You're going to make me feel bad. Last time I called him the Latino Fabio. Now he's, he's a Latino Ray Charles back there. Brothers and sisters, the strength of men will fail. The beauty of women will fade. Everything that we desire now in our heart will turn against us. 
Sometimes people say, well, no, 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 Joan, you don't understand. I love God with all my heart, and that, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I love my family with all my heart, and that's just as, the same as loving God. And I say, no, it's not, because your family will fail you. Not that I want to speak failure over them, but these children will break my heart. These children will do things that I don't want them to do. Has any parent here ever had a child break their heart? Oh, y'all quiet in this Presbyterian church. You guys must have children that never break your heart. They listen every time. They always obey you. They're always sweet and cuddly. Come on, let's be honest. The children will break your heart because you know why? They also have to find the God of love and be transformed by that love. If you make your children your idol, they're going to disappoint you. You cannot have children as your idol. Well, what about my wife? There she is, my beautiful boobster boo. I love her. She's the best. No one has it as good as we do, right? We're the best. We're the best. But how many know she still lets me down? We even have a song that goes, we're the best, and, and we work together. And all. we have like little, how many has little love songs? Anybody here? Like I have a little song. We're a team. We're a team. A really, really good team. Oh, you left me hanging on that. I literally sang to my boobster boo one of our songs on Sunday. In front of everybody. And when I started it off, we're a team, we're a team. She just looked at me. I guess we ain't singing. I guess you ashamed of me. See, right there, you better have Jesus. I better have Jesus tonight when I go home too, right? Because she's going to put me on the couch for this. Don't you make me sing our song in front of everybody. I love my wife. She's nice, Nancy. I'll give you one more shot, but you got to come up here now. Let's give it up for nice Nancy as she comes. Here's our little duet. Here's our duet. We're a team. We're a team. We're really, really <laughs> good team. Oh, you got to do the second part. You can't just do the, if we do the little humming part, don't you act like we don't do this. We're a team. We're a team. A really, really good team. I love my wife. Sometimes people get around us and they feel like they have to explain me to my wife. And my wife's like, I understand. You don't have to explain. I understand. Like, where are you, what, how did he offend you and embarrass you? Oh, praise God. Where were we? With the heart. With the heart. I mean, but let's just be honest. This was an example of how hearts don't always go together, even in the greatest of relationships. That awkward moment that we just made our way through is the reason why we still need Jesus, even if you love your wife, even if you love your husband. I mean, I'm telling you, they're, they're going to be there and on, you know, trying to help you, and they're going to not know what to do for you. And that's why the greatest thing my wife does for me in the times of hardship is she said, you need to talk to Jesus. You need to go pray. Because a husband or a wife is also a cheap idol. It cannot satisfy. Did you find that video? With Ronnie Coleman, the before and after, how now he's not strong, but he used to be strong. Look again in the passage that we had on the notes as he's looking for that, that video. Mark chapter 12, verse 31 says, God, love God with all your heart. And what's the next component? Come on, what's the next component? With all your soul. Mine comes next. But listen, brothers and sisters, the soul has to come under the control of Jesus. The soul here, I believe, is the will. We have to release the will to, get, to live any other way outside of God's will to him. And oftentimes you see people committing suicide and what their heart was crying out was for spiritual suicide. They needed to die in their, in their ways of doing things to live for God. So anyone today that's willing to commit suicide, why not give Jesus Christ a try and die to yourself? 
I know that may sound harsh to some of you here, but you have to understand, I believe suicide's a damnable sin. You will go from this pain to the pain of eternity in hell. Please hear my heart. I'm not playing with you today. If you have ever contemplated suicide, what that is really telling you on the inside of your soul is you need to die to yourself. Suicide is the height of selfishness. It's my pain, my problems, my issues. And when they die, they do not resolve them for their family. They pass them on. We just had a pastor commit suicide that was a friend of one of my friends. Just hold that there, please. Thank you, sir. Just hold it there for a minute. Go back to the slide. We'll put it up here in just a second. But listen, brothers and sisters, I take this very seriously. This man committed an affair, then left his wife, and then he committed suicide. You don't get to do that and go to heaven, sir. I'm sorry. That's damnable. Now, you might say, well, what about when he's hanging or what about whatever? Can he repent? I don't know. But I know what is damnable according to the Bible. Those who live like this, murderers shall not inherit. The cowardly shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That may trigger some of you, but you need to wake up to this. And our generation wants to make them out to be heroes. And as I told you before, at that, um, you know, the uh, funeral service at the wake and memorial, they put up a picture of his life, uh, of him there, and they tried to make his life out to be a testimony of God's grace through troubled times. And the wife, out of despair, said, God allowed this to happen so that he would not lose more of his testimony. No, I'm sorry, Mom. I need to tell you the truth. Your husband was a sinner. He was wicked and more than likely is in hell. And you need to let your children know that this is damnable. Why? Because now the children of this coward have a two to three upwards of five times greater risk of suicide because of what their dad did. Because what's going to happen when they face tough times, they're going to think, I can take the easy way out, get my face up on a memorial, and be told that I was also a hero. Somebody say, God have mercy. Come on. Judas's are not our example in the scriptures. Judas's and Saul's are not our example. But I don't feel like living. Great, you're ready to live for Jesus now. Well, I'm depressed about the way the world is. Great, now you're ready for Jesus to turn your frown upside down. Well, I don't like the way the world is. Great, you're ready to be a world changer, a history maker, and a roof breaker. You're ready now to have an encounter with God. Do not be selfish. But for the rest of us who are not suicidal, and thank God this is not the majority of us, what we will do is we will manipulate our will and say that it's the will of God. And as C.S. Lewis said, God will say to many who have done this, not my will, but your will be done. Depart from me. The backsliding will is not God's will. It's your will. Notice this. Once again, don't let this pass you by. C.S. Lewis was a genius for putting it this way. God will say to them, depart from me, not my will, but your will be done. You didn't want a life with me. You didn't want to spend time with me. You always made excuses about what I told you to do. You thought my commands were suggestions, and you said I was boring. Your will be done. Depart from me. What is the crucifixion? The crucifixion is putting our will above God's will. I want OnlyFans, Jesus. You stay right here on this cross while I go look at porn. The Bible says sin is the death of the soul, and it's the breaking of God's heart, the very thing that brought him to the cross. The cross is the place where our sins put him. 
That's why in a church like this, I'm casual and people oftentimes mock us because of our casual nature. But I'll tell you what, I'm more serious about holiness here than the person who dresses up like mother and wants to be called father. We're more serious here than most churches with stained glass windows. Are you listening? Because holiness is not a matter of dress, but of the heart. And Jesus looked at the most outward holy people of his day, and he said, these folks, and he pointed them out, he said, they are like whitewashed tombs. They look great on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's uh, bones. I was looking at, you know, sometimes you got to be careful when you look at YouTube, especially when you put yourself out there. So I was looking at some of the videos that I'm on with the social media, and they put it out there, and somebody was like, who does this guy think he is talking so loud in casual clothes and all of this? And I'm like, well, what do you want me to do? You know, do you want me to dress up and be like your role model in the how I dress and then talk to you in soft words? Look again at the prophets. Look again at John the Baptist. That's what I oftentimes think about this ministry. We're not the only ones. Never think that. That we have that kind of ego. I just believe God called us to do unique work. So we'll have friends come around the country, and I always think about, about the first time they get here, you know, passing all of these churches, and it's like, we're going to the storefront one. We're going to the one that just has a few banners in the front. No fountain, no big parking lot, no children's rock climbing wall, and then I want to ask them while they show up, and I've even done it by God's grace to a few, and I say, what have you come out here to see? A person dressed in fine clothes, or have you come out here to see a prophet crying out in the wilderness, make ye straight the ways of the Lord, right? That's what we're doing. That's why we go on Belmont and Clark. That's why we go to the West Side. What did you go out to see? What did you go to church to see? Did you want to see someone in fine clothes? Well, chances are those people in fine clothes got that way because they were pimping you and others. God have mercy on pimps in the pulpit. May God purify the pulpit again and at least have one thing be true when I'm up here, that you know I fear God and I live by the word of God. My will is his will. Well, Joe, what have you sinned? Well, then rebuke me in my sin. Love me for my soul's sake, brother and sister. Love each other for each other's soul's sake. Lest our wills, watch this, deceive us and we place our will above God's will. And people have said... Well, then why did God even make us? Is he so insecure that now if we do something wrong, he's going to cast us into hell? How unfair. We go there for eternity, but only messed up here. That would be like taking a child who just messed up a little bit and then locking them in their room for the rest of their life. It's not fair. Eternity's too much. Judgment is too harsh. But brothers and sisters, what they forget to understand is that our sins are not against a mom or a father or against some temporary code that changes when politicians come in and out of office. Our sin is against the God of all creation. Our sin is against a God who in perfect love, and we have violated him willfully. We deserve all that he says we deserve because we have no will to understand unless he gave us his will. When they shake their fist at God, I'm so mad at you, God. Why did you make me like this? If you didn't want me gay, then why do I feel gay? I would rather reign in hell than to be a servant in heaven. If this is where I'm going, I'll take the highway to hell, and then they'll sing about it. But they don't understand. The will in the soul was the very gift of God that he gave them, lest they were robots that he would program to love, and they would have nothing to complain about. Shut up, you robot. Beep, boop, beep, boop. Tell me you love me. Oh, I love you. 
You see, the very thing they're angry about is the very thing that God gave them the choice to be. So maybe we should stop shaking our fists at God at anger and getting angry and being angry about it and get angry actually at the one we should be mad at, the devil who lied to us and deceived us, who came to steal, kill, and destroy from us and start worshiping on our knees the God who came to give us life and that abundantly. Let every heartache, let every problem, let everything that you and I face cause us to bend our knees to God's will. Well, I feel like this. I feel like this. I don't know if I can live holy. I don't know. I will bend my will to the will of the Father, not my will, but your will be done. Two gardens, two wills. Garden of Eden, the man of will brought damnation. The Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus brought salvation. What will will we submit to? The will of Adam and Eve, a rebel, who says, you did all of this for me, but I will now turn my back on you. The will of humanity and sin against a holy God who has loved us with an everlasting love, who has been kind and compassionate. Will we spit in the face of that God with the very will he gave us and break his heart? And some theologians go so far to say that the fire of hell is the fire of God's love. And you get quiet when I say that because you think only love works one way. But some theologians have, have given this thought uh, at the time, and I think it's also true, that the love of God will purify or torment you. And I remember this when I was a backslider, and my mom would try to hold me and hug me, and her love would torment me so much that I had to get out of her presence because I didn't want the love. And it could it be, and I believe it to be so, you can pray on it, that it's the very love of God that torments them to gnash their teeth, gnaw their tongue, and it's the worms of the memory of the broken heart of God that crawl in and out of them. Because they didn't receive the love of God. Study that. I believe it was uh, Thomas Aquinas or Augustine. One of the fathers talked about God's love being the very torment of the fires of hell. The very thing they reject is the very thing that's like a wool sweater on in the 4th of July that makes them feel so uncomfortable. But it's the very thing that we run to, crying out, Abba, Father. It's the love of God, and we take our will and we bend it to his. And you might say, I can't do that. We're going to get to how we do all of this in a minute. But by the way, our heart, soul, mind, and strength all need the empowerment of God. But be of good cheer, brother and sister, because like me sending my children to go shopping for the mom on her day, God gives us the resources and the ability to love him. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ. And as I've said before, that's not you getting a good parking spot on, uh, at Chick-fil-A on Monday or getting a, getting a place in line on, on the Dunkin' Donuts before you come to church. You can do all things through Christ. It's fulfilling the great commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Because when God asked a rich man to do that, the rich man was told to sell everything that he had. And when he refused to do it, he walked away sad, and the disciples got it. Hold on. We're a part of something here that looks really extreme high demand and they said God if this rich man cannot be saved because he wasn't willing to give up his riches who then can be saved and then Jesus said clearly with man this is impossible with God it is possible Brothers and sisters, do not reduce salvation and the message of the gospel to some Tony Robertson pep talk. The gospel says, come and die so that you can live. And it's impossible without God's pervenient and precious abundant grace and his love. Amen? The next thing he says to love him with his mind. I love God with all your mind. How many love God with your mind? How many think about Jesus? How many think about when you think about Jesus? Do you ever think about when you think? 
<laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's like, yeah. Are you thinking about that you're thinking right now? That's kind of a neat spiral to get into sometimes. Who are you thinking to when you think? Well, I'm thinking to myself, but aren't you the thinker? How are you thinking to the one that's already thinking? Can I just give you something to think about? I think all the thoughts that you're thinking to yourself are actually thoughts you're thinking to God. God is the mind frame in which your thought actually operates. There has never been a thought that you have had to yourself that was not overheard and understood by God. The devil does not have that power and authority, but God does. Seriously, think about this. This is the understanding of the consciousness and of mind. In him, we live and move and breathe and have our being. Think about it. And every thought we have, we're supposed to have with the mind of Christ as Christians. But before we accepted and downloaded his code, we were still in his mind frame, or is what I like to call mainframe. And so I would dare to say this to you because in Romans chapter 1 and 2, it says that there's a hope even for the one that didn't yet hear the name of Jesus through their conscience. Some may want to run out of here screaming and say, well, don't tell me Jesus' name so I can try to get that way out. But trust me, that's going to be a judgment that's going to be just as fair as this one. And none of you that applies to, this is what we would say, the unreached people groups of different times and places. Can I hear an amen? God is gracious. Let's just go there so they can see it, either defending them or condemning them. Romans chapter 2. This is the conscience. Everybody say the conscience. The conscience has been, de been uh, denied by many secularists, materialists. And how many know they have a problem? Because they have to explain how chemicals think. Have you ever seen a pop bo a bottle fizz before? That's what your brain is doing. Now explain to me how consciousness is there. They can't do it. It's called the hard and soft problem of consciousness. Don't take my time, uh, my word for it, but take on your time the, the study of hard and soft problem of consciousness. There is nobody that understands it. They're not even close to it, but yet they'll deny God, say you're playing make-believe while they believe their eye on the inside of them is an illusion of chemicals. And they'll mock you for saying you talk to Jesus. Well, isn't that cute? You talk to your imaginary friend. No, I'm talking to my friend who gave me consciousness to begin with. Who are you talking to with your consciousness? Where did you even get that thing called consciousness? Because certainly the dog doesn't have it sniffing its own behind, eating its own puke, and eating its own young. Are you listening to me? Because I'll play National Geographic videos for them and remind them real quick, you didn't come from the goo through the zoo to you. You came to a God who created you in his image, and the first part of your image is I am. I exist, therefore I am. I think, therefore I am. And you got that from the great I am. And then guess what? The new agers say, hold my beer. I'm coming up here now to church with this guy. Yes, we are the great I am. We all participate in divinity, just like Joe has said. Let me take it from here, Joe. And we are all one with the divine. Er, hold on. Before our new agers come up in here, you are separated from that voice to walk with that voice, to have a relationship with that voice, because on the inside, you are naughty by nature, a child of damnation. And what that consciousness does is convict you, but it cannot change you. You need to be born again by that great spirit in the sky, hallelujah, to be reborn inwardly and to now have a relationship with Jesus. And the first thing you'll learn about Mother Nature is it's the footstool of my father, and he's not in every everything, but he's in anyone who calls on his name. Amen? Why just worship Mother Nature? Stop worshiping my God's uh, uh, footstool. Stop worshiping that. What is that thing that we put our feet on in our house? What do we call that thing? We don't call it a footstool. Ottoman. Stop worshiping God's ottoman. I just feel God in nature. Of course you do because he made it, but stop worshiping the ottoman. It would be like you coming to hang out with me talking to my shoes. Hey, dude, stop talking to my shoes. I'm over here, and I'm a person.
How many know God is greater than Mount Everest? He's greater than the skies that he painted, but how many know they're beautiful? God paints them beautiful. Go down to the end of chapter 2, please. The Bible says, what is it, verse 15? Thank you, sister. My sister got my back. Go to chapter 2, verse 15. On the day of judgment, speaking about the conscience. They show that the requirements, these are all peoples, even those who have not heard the gospel. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their what? Their hearts, their consciences, also bearing witness, and their thoughts, sometimes accusing them, and at other times, what? Defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's what? Secrets. Oh, every secret thought will come out unless it's washed under the blood through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Because then that's when my universal friends come up and they say, let me take it from here too, Joe. Everybody's getting saved. See, because everybody knows God in their conscience, even if they were, you know, a Muslim, whatever, God's going to save them. No, according to the gospel, people go to hell without Christ. But if in their conscience they pursued the only truth they knew, God will be just to them through Jesus, not through denying judgment. And that's where universalism is tempting to us to get us to deny God's judgment. But the gospel declares there is judgment. Somebody say, prove it. John 3.16. Don't you think John 3.16 tells us the gospel? Did you know there was judgment there? Oh, I didn't know. I thought it just talked about God's love. For God, let's say it together, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten or his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not. Oh, there's judgment, but have what? Eternal life. So in the very verse we think is lovey-dovey also has judgment in it. We love God with all of our heart, our emotions. We submit to the will of God. We love God with all of our, our soul. We bring our will to him. And we say like Jesus did in the flesh, not my will, but your will be done. And then we bring to him our mind and we say, like a faucet, Jesus, you be the filter of my mind. Every thought that I'm thinking through my mind, let it be Christ-centered. Go to Philippians, please, chapter 4. Let everything that is pure and lovely be brought under the subjection of Jesus Christ. Let everything that you think about, think on these things. Think on those things that are true. Keep scrolling down for me, please, brother. Notice what it says here. Whatever is admirable, because this is Romans 12 right here, being renewed in your mind, amen? But what does renewed in your mind mean? Here it is. Whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, what about these things? Think about such things. Whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, pastor, what about when I do science or uh, engineering? Or what about when I have to sell internet on my job? Or when I have to go and be a garbage uh, pickup person? How do I think about what's lovely then? Because everything you do has a purpose in the word of God. The garbage picker-upper, you're keeping our streets clean. The Bible says it's good to be clean. Can I hear an amen? The one selling internet, you may not be doing good. No, I'm kidding. We should all throw that away. No, I'm kidding. No, internet, you're helping. I'm pointing over here. You don't sell internet, do you? We do have people in church that do that and and talk to them because they got a great deal going on, Comcast, right? Just remember when you sign that a year from now, you're going to have uh, Univision and you never asked for it, okay? That's a little tell on my story here. And, and here's the thing, you, you, you sign this deal and this contract now and you don't see all the hidden stuff in there. But here's the point, what is he doing for you now? Trying to get you a good deal. Why do you need that? Because internet's information, okay? Everything you do. See, people think Christians put their hand, uh, the head in the sand and we only talk about the pie in the sky. And they say, oh, I don't want to be so heavenly minded that I'm of no earthly good. But what do we say? I want to be so heavenly minded that I change the earth for good. Right. 
When you set your hearts on the things of God, you put your mind on Christ, you will be the best doctor. You will be the best scientist. How many want one of, one of those to be a Christian? How about even one of these? How, wanna, how about a Christian lawyer? How about a Christian politician? How about a Christian uh, police officer? Not by name, but by life. Hallelujah. That's one that you can trust. And then lastly, everybody say strength. The Bible says that we love God with our strength. Now this is where the upside down kingdom comes in. First, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, please. This is now where you realize how we go back over everything we just learned in the cycle of love. Is where you realize you can't. Go down to the red letters of chapter 12, please. Paul's facing a great temptation and a trial. It's called his thorn in the flesh. And let me just help everybody here. It's not a demon afflicting him. That's one thing that we know is that Paul was not demon-possessed. If anything, it's a sickness. But we know from the reference, this is good for everyone here to listen, thorns in the flesh, if you look at the reference, goes back to the people of Israel. and says, if you do not drive them out, they will be a thorn in your side. So these are the enemies of God against Paul. That's good Bible right there. We can discuss deliverance at another time. But just trust me when I tell you, Paul is not saying that the messenger of Satan is a literal demon that he needs to spit in a bag and to get delivered from. He's an apostle. He doesn't have a demon. Even if you want to think it's a demon afflicting him, it's from the outside, not the inside. Can I have an amen to Paul not being demonized? Okay, let's just believe that and we'll be better off for it. But remember, the messenger of Satan are the agents of the Jewish people and the enemies of God tormenting him, sent to persecute him to the point that he had to be let out of a jail so that he wouldn't be murdered by them. That's my take on it. You can look at it on your own if you want to believe it's literally a demon. That's okay, but just make sure it's not Paul is demonized. Let's just make sure we don't think Paul has a demon possession because the Bible says that Jesus does not share the heart with anybody else. The temple is a temple. The heart is a temple, the body of the Holy Spirit. Amen? So just things to think about. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my what? My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in what? Weakness. But I thought we're going to love God with all of our strength. What if I told you admitting your weakness is strength in God? What if I told you that the way this works is that everything we just learned about heart, everything we just learned about soul, everything we just learned about mind is not you now trying to do it with your willpower. It's you yielding to the mighty power of God. What if I just told you that this is like going downstream on your kayak and letting God and you letting go? You would give, give me just a quiet amen, then okay, I get it. You're deep thinkers, I get it. Let me illustrate it for you before we read more. So I have a kayak. Well, I used to have one, I should say, and I used to love doing it downriver. And that's the way we would start. Then my kids are right here, and they can relate to this. And we would start downriver, and how many know it's just flowing? It's easy. And I would say to them, well, how far do you want to go? And they would point as far down as you could possibly imagine because going downstream is just a little push just every now and then, and it just keeps taking you. But how many know when we would start our journey back up, it was about three to four times harder. And I would every now and then I wouldn't even touch it just to let them feel it. And they're just, you know, they're just trying to do it. And then we're going in circles and the river's pushing us even further down. And then I said, hold on, we're going we're gonna to fight upstream now. It's not going to be as easy as it was. Brothers and sisters, the world would want you to think that going with them, that's really the easy way. And serving God, it's going to be so hard. But that's the opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. 
And he says, you shall find rest for your souls. So the, the heart after God is not now us becoming contemplative monks going, okay, I'm going to check every emotion, every emotion, every emotion. Oh, I just had one. Was that a God emotion? I don't know. And I don't like it. I'm going to fight against you. And then at the same time, you're trying to love God with all your heart. You're also trying to do it with all your soul. Okay, I, I ate that, you know, uh, what, what did they make us? That uh, Trace Leche cupcake. And I have a heart for that today, and my soul wants me to do it, you know. So then, okay, okay, is that will? Is that will? Is that will against God, me wanting to do it? Am I being deceived by my heart? Oh, and at the same time, my mind, my mind, my mind, my mind's thinking about this. My mind's thinking about that cupcake. You see how much torment that can bring you? All of a sudden, you're under condemnation all the time. Am I loving God enough? Am I loving my neighbor enough? Have, have, I, have I read my Bible enough? Have I fasted enough? Did I worship enough? You know, I, I went out roller skating on that nice day. Was I supposed to be praying? Come on, how many have ever been there before? How many have ever felt that? That's the opposite of what Paul is teaching right now. Grace does not feel like us working harder. It may result in harder work, like as Paul is going to say later on. He said, I worked harder than them all. But grace is not what we try to earn by the hard work. It's what precedes everything that we do. Grace being sufficient says, I know God loves me, and everything right now is okay, and he's going to lead me downstream in the plan he has for my life. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my what? Weaknesses so that Christ what? Power may rest on me. Going back to those notes quickly and closing as Daryl comes, think about it. We're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. How many want to do that? That's what we're starting the year with. We're going to do that more in 24 than we've ever done before. Amen? How are you going to do it though? Trying harder, working harder, read your Bible more. Don't ever go roller skating. Don't ever. That's what my kids are into right now. My daughter's into roller skating and you're into roller skating. Are we going to do that more? No. Guess what? We can roller skate with Jesus. We can ride our bikes with Jesus. We can have that uh, Trace Leche cupcake today with Jesus. Because guess what? God gave us these things to enjoy because our heart's going to be towards him. Our will is going to be towards him. Our mind is going to be about him. For the kingdom of God, watch this, it's not in eating and drinking. It's not in all of these restrictions, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I don't want you to go to the other extreme and say, well, then I guess uh, looking at pornography is good too, right? I mean, if I can't mess this up, then I'll just go wherever I feel like going. No, then you go back to the beginning of the message. It's not just doing whatever you feel is right. No, it's you doing what God told you to do as God leads you to do it. So what does it look like? Talk to some senior saints. Hang out with the Valconets after the service. Talk to my wife and I. Talk to others who have been serving the Lord. I know we're senior saints. In this church, I'm a senior saint, by the way. So it's not meant to be insulting in any way. Like, you served the Lord more than 10 years here. Like, you, you, you're like a veteran. Seriously, we're just, you know, we're getting to that point where some of us are, you know, getting some gray hair. And some of us started loving Jesus with gray hair, and that's great. We're glad you're here. But track with me here. Talk to anybody serving God 10, 20, 30 years, and they'll tell you that loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength was impossible without God. But with God, it's the most natural thing they have ever done. When I go downstream with that boat, it is the most funnest thing to do. Everything at that moment feels right because I know I'm right where I'm supposed to be. 
I have prayed and fasted in such a way that if I were to boast right now, I would probably lose those rewards. But I gave the monks at the monastery, St. Vitor's, I gave them a run for their money. I have some of my friends that I guess are in standing like competitions with them. One was just online the other day, a friend of a friend, going, I'm on a 40-day fast, you know, only water. And it's like, great, Father Tom's got you beat. He's going for 60. Can I get a 70 here? And then you're still talking. Father Tom also took a vow of silence. How are you doing with that, my friend? You know what I'm saying? Oh, it's Lent. Make sure you give up something. Here's what I'm giving up for Lent, listening to you giving up something. Seriously, that's what I'm giving up for Lent, is listening to you talk about how you give up stuff for Lent. But watch, but watch. When I found myself the most at peace, I didn't have my timer on when I prayed. Some of you all still have your timers on, and I get it. I still do from time to time as well. My greatest prayer life has been when I don't have a timer. I don't know where I stop and where I end. I'm just talking. I'm just talking. Oh, God, you know, uh, I got to do this, this, and this today, God. And then, God, you know, I really care about the baptismal people. I'm praying for every one of their names. And then, oh, I got to respond to that email. Okay, I'll respond to that email. Oh, and I'm praying for this person. And once again, you got to be careful with distractions. But I'm just saying... If you asked me this past week how many hours I prayed, I don't know. You would have asked me 10 years ago. I would have told you by the time and the minute. I prayed two hours Tuesday. I prayed an hour and a half Wednesday. I'm telling you, I would have had every single minute marked out because that's, that's what I did. And I didn't even go to bed unless I prayed an hour or more. Well, that's not loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's just being a good monkey. I'm telling you, how many know Hindus can give us a run for money with that? Please put up there the guy, the Hindu who hasn't put down his hand in 20 years. I'm telling you, not only is Father Tom going to step up and say, I'll give you a Pentecostal run for your money. The Hindu goes, hey, guys, I, I do stuff you guys don't even do. I, I, I don't even put down my hand. That's how much I love my God. That's not how we are proving the love for God. As a matter of fact, it's not in the competition against anybody. Me and my brother, we were lifting weights, and you know what I did? I counted how much you did to how much I did. And I'm the one that turned it into a competition, didn't I? And at the end of the day, I had to make sure I had more. And they probably let me win. Can you believe that? These guys want to work out with their pastor. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, well, you did 10. I'm going to do 12. But I wasn't the only one. At some point, you tried to grab one bigger than me, and it was hard. Yeah, yeah. look at this guy. Everybody say, oh, Dios mio. Have mercy, Lord. How many want to help this man and show him the gospel of grace? What is he rejoicing in, his weakness or his strength? He's rejoicing in his strength, isn't he? Look what I did. Look what I did. I did this for my God. I lifted up my hand and I didn't put it down. Look at how spiritual I am. My bones and muscles have now atrophied. Look what I did. God have mercy. But you know what? We're the same way. I fasted 20 days this year. How many did you fast? I gave this much, how much did you give? I went witnessing this much this year, how much did you witness? And brothers or sisters, the Bible says it's an upside down kingdom. They saw Jesus bringing the keg to the wedding and everybody's like, what is he doing? He's listen to what they call Jesus, a drunkard and a friend of sinners. They called him that because Jesus was the life of the parties that he went to. But he was never getting drunk And he was never not correcting sinners. Wasn't he correcting sinners while he was hanging out with them? But he didn't have the look of the religious. I remember one time I was, we can get this poor fellow off here in Jesus' name. Thank you. 
Now I want to pit, put another picture up there of the Apostle Paul. But everybody watch this. I was out there preaching on that corner. And a man like Polish, I think, you know, one of my people, he came up there with one of his big crosses around his neck. And I'm like, great, here's a guy who loves Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. And he looked at me. He said, I don't talk about Jesus on the streets. My priest would never do that. Maybe he's part Russian. I don't know. My priest would never do that. And I said, Jesus said, whoever is ashamed of me would in this world, I'll be ashamed of them then. I said, I'm sorry your priest didn't teach you about the gospel. You should have given me the right hand of fellowship and got me a glass of water if you wanted a blessing. When I had the Baptist knock at the door the other day, I asked him if I'd give him a bottle of water. We didn't have any. I just happened to be pickling pickles in the garage. And I said, will you take some of the pickles that I picked? And he said, yep. And then, I, you know, I gave it to him. And I said, thank God I caught my blessing because I have to give to these dear servants. I hope I didn't lose that blessing now by telling you. We're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we're not going to do it by forcing ourselves to be better Christians. This is what we're going to do. Look at the next slide, please. We're going to worship him in spirit and in truth, and we're going to fall in love with keeping his commands. I am married to my wife, and the commands that she has that are for our well-being, i got to qualify there, the commands that she has that is for our well-being, I love and embrace Everything my wife prioritizes in life has become my obligation to fulfill. But it doesn't come with a joyless service. It comes with a joy to be pleasing her. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? She prioritizes a clean house. I love keeping a clean house. She prioritizes the peace in the bedroom. I love prioritizing the peace in the bedroom, not fighting or arguing. My wife prioritizes children that are in order. I love making sure our family's in order. Is anybody getting this? I love serving my wife. The only times I have ever been a stinker at serving my wife is when my attitude was wrong. As a Christian, if we ever see that we don't love God's commands, it's not that God's commands are bad. It's that we've had a bad attitude. And we worship him. We adore him. We don't do it because we have to. We do it because we want to. How many have songs in their life that they're just singing to the Lord all the time? I have been singing this song for the last year, and maybe it's just me and I am weird, but I cannot go very long, stick on one key before I embarrass myself more than I ought. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine one key brother heir of salvation purchase of God born of his spirit washed in his blood if you know it come on this is my story This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. And this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the 
day long. Give it up for Jesus today. Thank you, brother. Thank you. I've had that song in my heart for over a year now. I sing it on the streets. Who has been with me when I sung it on the streets? I don't see many of you I even go evangelizing with, but you were with me. Yep, you've been with me. I need to go evangelizing with you guys more. Just the other day, we were out there in front of the abortion clinic. It's just, this is my story. You got to get a song in your heart. You got to get a worship melody that goes to the rhythm of your life. There are some days that you will not have it in your own strength to put on K-Love and work yourself up into the presence of the Lord. Some days you need the groan of the Spirit to turn you on to the melodies of heaven and just sing out what's already been ready and waiting for you. Because God is looking for worshipers. He's looking for those who just love him because they know what he's done for them. And they know that without him, there's nothing else to live for. That kind of peace is what it looks like. So in closing, I just want to make sure we get this. Yes, we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, how do we do that? By worshiping him, by obeying him. And what does it look like? That's what I think it looks like. It's singing songs at the dinner table. It's preaching the word to your friends and your neighbors. It's praying in and out of your day, talking to the Lord. It's bringing your needs to him without bringing the complaint first. You bring the need, amen? One, maybe one last illustration of this in closing. When my sister died drinking and driving, we were at the hotel, and my other sister, who I used to get high and drunk with, came to, the, uh, to my hotel room. You remember this, right, Nancy? Lisa, when she came, you forgot already? I thought you remember this. Oh, that's right, you weren't there. This, this was the time that you weren't in my life, but I told the story in the first service as if you were there. I'm putting you in parts of the story that you don't even belong anymore. What is wrong with me? It's like I've been, never been away from her. Somebody got to edit that out of the first service now. Man, okay, help me, Holy Ghost. So I was by myself. And my sister, Lisa, came drunk. And she said, why did God take Jenny? Why is she not here anymore? It's not fair. This is my sister. And I said to her, she was drinking and driving. I mean, some things we can't understand, but this one's, this one's pretty easy to understand. She was drunk. She hit a pole 70 miles an hour. How many know? I may not be the friend you want to talk to when you lose somebody. I'm pretty, pretty much like this all the time. My wife will tell you. I said, because she was drunk. She said, it's just not fair. I don't know what to do. And I said, let's pray. I said, let's pray, Lisa. No, I don't want to pray. Remember, we go back to that will thing. I don't want to pray. And the heart thing, because she didn't want it. And the strength, I want to go get drunk and get high. And then this is what I said. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You say, oh, Joe, you're so spiritual. You had the Lord's prayer in your heart. You were such a great Christian. Amazing. Good for you. No, no, no. You know what it was? It was me admitting that within this fraction of a second, I was ready to go backslide with her. But in that moment, instead of relying on my own strength, my own will, my own heart, I just hopped in the kayak of the Spirit and row, row, rowed my boat with Jesus. I don't know how else to tell you, but that's how it works, brothers and sisters. 
from those we've had testify here of rape, of abuse, of the hardest things that, yes, deserve death penalties and things need to be done about it. And please let us help if we can and you're in that. But I'm telling you, how do you get out of the mindset of brokenness? It's not... 20 steps with Dr. Phil and all of them. It's row, row your boat with Jesus gently down the stream of the Spirit. It's there's a mighty river flowing through you and out of your innermost being and you drink of that Spirit. Can I hear an amen? Go to Revelation 21 in the third closing right here. It's the Spirit of God that you just get in that river and you go wherever you go, God, I'm going with you. I'm letting go and I'm letting you take over. I just wish to God we would see that today. That in the new heaven and the new earth, what is there going to be? There's going to be one throne that the Father and the Son sit on. And out of that throne, keep going, brother, down here, there will be a river that will flow, the river of life. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. So often people have said, where is the Holy Spirit in the book of Revelation? As you get towards the end, he is the river of life there in the end. Those who are victorious, notice this, will inherit all of this. God expects us to be victorious. Why? Because we're such great conquerors? No, because through Christ Jesus, we are made more than conquerors. Through God's great love for us, He conquered our weaknesses. Hallelujah. So those who are victorious, this is what I have to say. God only loves losers until judgment day. After then, losers go to hell. Hello, somebody. He loves the losers right now. I was a big L loser, and Jesus loved me. But by the time you show up to judgment, you better have the V of victory. But it's not in your own strength, is it? It's in the grace of God, the love of God. Hallelujah. To the victorious, I'll give all of this. I will be their God, and they will be my children. You all ready for that? Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus if you're in victory even now? Come on, somebody shout victory. Come on, victory. Victory is mine, victory is mine, victory today is mine. I told Satan to get thee behind, victory today is, come on up here band, come on victory, victory is mine, come on, come on saints, today is mine, I told Satan.